new talent paradigm, I will explore the science of learning and implications of for organizations to manage the growth and training needs of the workforce. I am in conversation with uh, Professor Sanjay Sarma, my dear friend and classmate, and the Vice President of Open Learning at MIT. Sanjay is also the author of GRASP, a groundbreaking look at the science of learning, and his uh, latest book, The Workforce Education, A New Roadmap, is launching later this month, right, Sanjay? That's right, actually it just launched last week. Just launched. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's lovely to see you, Saranjan, after, you know, we've known each other for 35 years, so lovely That's to right. see you. That's right. A uh, quick uh, note for the record, uh, this discussion is not endorsed by MIT and MIT is not a customer of Edge Networks. I just wanted to get that out to make sure that uh, the record is clear. And uh, Sanjay, welcome. Uh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to uh, be able to speak with you today. Um, before we get going, uh, would you like to share a few words? Yeah, no, look, uh, Suranjan, you know, I, uh, it's, um, again, a pleasure to talk to you. I think that we are at a crossroads right now because of COVID in all things work, all things learning, um, you know, in excess of 30 million people looking for reskilling, new jobs, etc. cetera. Uh, social distancing means online is a thread that we hang by. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, I like to say that the 21st century did not begin in 2000 or 2001, depending on how you count. It really begins in 2021 because right. 2001, we already had, you know, Amazon was around, Google was around, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and Apple was still, they were, you know, that was the era, right? But uh, today, this year, this last year, we've spent, uh, humanity spent a whole year transforming itself around digital technology. Right. For the first time, we're hanging by the digital thread. It was always a good to have, but now, it's everything. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Century. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to 2021. I think, uh, as they say, 2020 hindsight, we are, we have that now. Hopefully, 2021, we can learn from all of that, right? Yeah. So, uh, let me kick it off. So, give us a peek into Sanjay Sarma, the parent, teacher, author, and what prompted you, motivated you, inspired you to write uh, Grasp and then the workforce education. And while you speak, I'm going to show up your uh, one slide just to share for, for the listeners to take a look at uh, uh, what the books are. Um, go ahead, Sanjay. Yeah, no, Saranjan, uh, you know, when we were um, in college, um, our conception was of education was that it is difficult. It should be difficult. If it's not difficult, something's wrong. Right. You know, if you're not struggling, something's wrong. And we uh, struggled a lot. And we struggled a lot. <laughs> a lot of fun, too. That's right. Uh, and, um, you know, when I left uh, um, IIT, I went to work at uh, Schlumberger in the oil industry. And uh, I found that learning was fun. Learning was engaging. And so, and you know, I didn't really start thinking about it as a parent, as a teacher. I was still an engineer. And then years later, I come to MIT, I become a young faculty member here. I'm teaching material that um, I got thrust into teaching a course in a, on a topic I was rusty in. So I had to relearn it. I was work and I was teaching it. And so um, I recall my days as a student and I realized that one has to really be empathetic and learning should not be thought of as having to be difficult. 
Right. And so um, then years later, you know, 10 years, 15 years after that, I became the head of uh, digital learning at MIT. And I started looking at the science of learning and the history of learning. And those are the arcs I describe in GRASP. And here, the, I'll give you the summary. The summary is this. The way to think about learning most is not as this difficult task, this sort of forced task. We as human beings uh, are evolved to learn. Mm -hmm. We're an animal, more than any other animal, right? Maturity, right. you know, late teens, twenties, right? Which means we're actually very vulnerable. Uh, you know, we're not hardwired, but then we're also very adaptable. That's the that's the evolutionary bet that humans make. Mm -hmm. So the our learning instincts and our teaching instincts are actually closer to our instincts as parents and as children. Even as an adult, the way you learn is defined by your need to learn as a child, actually. Right. So okay. the science is the same. Mm -hmm. When you start looking at the science, you realize that there is actually a, a fundamental conflict in our teaching approach today. Let me explain. Would if you look at my job as a professor, I do two things. One is I teach, make sure students understand stuff, but then I also grade them. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of a conflict of interest. If a student gets a bad grade, is it because I'm a bad teacher or is it because right. the student didn't learn, right? right? Because they didn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. What has happened is that second part, which is grading or separating or the good from the bad, so to say, or winnowing, mm -hmm. dominated learning. Sure. And that is unnatural. So then your entire approach to learning becomes one of creating an obstacle course and seeing who survives. Right. Right. Now, first of all, as a parent, can you imagine doing that with your kids? You know, I can't, you can't, yeah. because yeah. You're, as a That's parent, right. your entire commitment is to make them successful. Mm -hmm. At Schlumberger, I was already in and they were training me to operate on an oil rig under very, very difficult circumstances, deal with emergencies, etc. They weren't trying to figure out who would pass and who would fail. They were trying to make me successful. Right. But in fact, in the education enterprise, because it's become this business of, uh, you know, winnowing, you know, who fails, right? That has replaced the fundamental need, the fundamental instinct to actually transform the individual and make them successful. Sure. Right? Yeah. And hidden behind all that is that they're actually, from the science of learning, a lot of tricks about things you can do to make learning fun, interesting, and durable, etc. Mm -hmm. But because the pendulum has swung so much in the direction of winnowing, we've just ignored all the good stuff, which right. every parent and child knows, actually. So that's the objective of the book. And I also talk about how technology can actually help. You know, this is why Khan Academy is such a success. It's great success. That's right. Is, uh, is cognitively friendly. Mm -hmm. We made cognitive friendly, friendly, effective, and we should rethink our educational paradigms. Sure, that's great. So yeah, you touched upon some of my next question points, but tell me how the perspective of the science of learning, how we learn the teaching techniques, etc. Some of the key findings you did touch upon, uh, if you could explore that a little bit more and relate that to uh, the workforce in some ways, because as you can, um, as you understand, uh, the, the workforce uh, training needs are, are changing quite a bit, right? And our abilities to make sure that we understand the needs of our employees and, and their requirements from a skills perspective, and we tune our training methods and curricula to make sure that they, that they learn right. Help us understand how your uh, findings from GRASP translate also into the um, training needs of the workforce. Look, let me just say some 
uh, counterintuitive things about mm-hmm. me, which again every parent will understand. The first is um, we wag a finger at the learner if they don't pay attention after 10, 15, 20 minutes. Right. You're not paying attention, it's your fault. But actually the science tells us that after 10 minutes of absorbing something, you actually can't effectively absorb more. Mm-hmm. Every classroom is an hour, right? 45 minutes, 90 yeah. minutes. So you can, the remaining 30, 40 minutes are basically a waste of time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it may still work for a lot of students, but for a lot of students, you're losing them. It's cognitively just not friendly. Um, now, can you imagine a class of 10 minutes? It takes 10 minutes to get everyone to sit down, right? Right. So you can do a class of 10 minutes. That's true. The beauty of online stuff is online has all sorts of benefits that fit this first simple cognitive paradigm because you can make a 10 minute video. YouTube was 10 minute videos when it started, right? Mm-hmm. Khan Academy is short videos and the student can pause a video. The student can't pause a professor. The right. student can rewind the video. If they don't understand something. If they dream, which is human, you know, they uh, you're lost. And so the system kicks people off the train traditionally. But with online video, you can actually fix a lot of these things. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of other things. For example, the moment you learn something, the best thing that you can do is actually to answer some questions about the topic you just learned. Because that promotes the transfer of learning from short-term to long-term memory. It's called the testing effect. Mm-hmm. The problem is all the tests we do are what are called high stakes, which is I'll grade you. So it creates a very negative atmosphere. But if you're testing for learning, it's called formative as opposed to summative assessment formative means i'm not going to grade you this is just for you to see if you learned it and by Simulate the way what i've taught you yeah right? yeah that's so testing now can you imagine in a classroom of 50 people individually testing people after a 10 minute chunk impossible you mm-hmm. can do that online here's another one when you learn something your brain is designed to forget it why because most of the stuff you learned is useless i mean for example uh you know t- today you may have uh uh, you know, when you wash your hands in the morning, um, you know, you don't remember the temperature of the water. Right. Right. But if it was piping hot, you would remember it because now you know there's something wrong. Of the ice cold, you'd remember it because your heating system broke. Right. 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 So we remember the exceptions, but most things, the body is, is, is incented to forget it. Right? right. So that tells you that to make something memorable, you have to really give it context and stand out. Or, and here's the crazy thing. It turns out you'll remember something if you have the chance to sort of just forget it and someone reminds you. So as you forget it, if someone reminds you of something, you'll remember it better because the brain goes, wait, 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 I was forgetting that. But suddenly it turned out to be useful. I need to upgrade that fact. You kind of use that reminder as a marker to remember this. That's right. right. That's called the spacing effect. We've known this for 130 years. Mm. And most teachers don't know this. Yet, in fact, we teach forgetting as if it's some sort of sin. It's students' fault. I know you mentioned that uh, how organizations use the role of forgetting, right? And uh, normally forgetfulness is is deemed as a sign of failure. Yeah. Whereas you have a contra view on that, that it can be used uh, as a critical weapon in learning. Yeah. So uh, so everything I've learned to describe to you, um, as a parent, you know. You know that, you know, if you let's, let's say you have a young child, right? You teach them something and at some point their eyes roll. You know to back off. Mm-hmm. You know that if they're sitting in the back of the car later when they seem attentive, you might hit that topic again. Right. right. Remind them. So at some instinctive level, we know all this. And by the way, all these principles apply to adults. The only difference, actually, the good news is adults have more discipline. They have more motivation because they're learning something to get a job. Right. They right. have better frameworks for digesting information. They need less handholding. So what this means is that 
online content, and I'm not talking about Zoom lectures. Zoom lectures is synchronous. I'm talking about beautifully produced asynchronous, asynchronous. video. Right. With all these tricks baked in, automatic grading, etc., mm-hmm. can really impact our ability to learn information. And then just imagine you learn something, and a week later you get an email with a quiz, and then a month later. Right, right. You know? So with these modalities, you can really fundamentally improve people's learning, right? And this is the new, um, uh, I think, uh, the gym. You know, we all go, you know, just imagine if we were told uh, as kids, as young people, you just need to go to the gym for the first four years of your life and you'll be fit for the rest of your life. That's mm-hmm. the sort of contract of an undergraduate degree, right? Right. But we all know that you have to go to the gym regularly, right? So the new gym is going to be that of learning. We're all on a treadmill that's moving backwards. If you're not jogging forward, you'll fall off the edge. Mm-hmm. It'll be online combined with some in-person experiences. You know, we call it boot camps. So this is the future of um, of workforce learning in my view. Yeah. And yeah, in fact, some of the synchronous learning to me is kind of taking the in-person classroom mechanics and just putting it in online mechanics, right? Just a 40-minute synchronous course online with the same way of teaching. It doesn't really help much. But some of the programs that I've seen work in my previous organizations uh, are the ones where, you know, like you described, you were short um, asynchronous burst of teaching and then throw in a small learning module where they, there are a few questions that you answer and then go from there. So this is very interesting. So, so in, a, in a workforce where, you know, the demographics is shifting, we are getting more and more younger people, millennials and, and Gen Zs will start coming in and all of that, coming into the uh, workforce who have grown up in the digital world, so to speak, right? So their amenability to grasp some of these uh, uh, technologies is, is going to be that much easier. Um, how would you say that uh, one can assess their skill changes as they are going through these uh, interventions of learning right in the organization uh, how does one keep track of uh, how their skills are progressing uh, if one doesn't do a full-blown grading like you mentioned right grading yeah. is obviously one part of it but uh, one needs to assess and the, for the employee themselves they need to assess how they're, they're progressing no i'm actually not saying don't do grading you have to do grading i'm saying the the, the grading is the end you have to do it because you have to see if people understood stuff i'm just saying Everything shouldn't be grading sure. because then the whole thing warps around that test. And the objective is the test. The ob- yeah, the test is the objective, right? I mean, would you pick an engineer based on multiple choice? So does an engineer in real life ever do multiple choice questions, right? Right. And in fact, that's what we're training them. So we actually sort of, uh, in some ways, almost get people to think or to think of the world in this way, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the grading is important, but actually in the problem with grading is uh, grading is a proxy for a real world test, right? I mean, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl yesterday, yeah. but yet he was not, uh, you know, in the draft, etc. We didn't know he was such a great player. He came in because Drew Bledsoe got injured, right? Right. Could we have assessed how well he would perform under pressure? How well he would, uh, how his longevity, right? how well he uh, would perform under, you know, how, how uh, quickly he can bounce back. Can you do that with a test in a quick snapshot? A test is a snapshot. So right. what we're talking about here is authentic assessment. That's a term. Mm-hmm. So, so the real way to test someone is to, of course, you might well give them multiple choice. You may give them a test, but you really want to 
uh, give them a project and see how well they did. You know, if you learn the cloud, all right, create a cloud uh, system, you know, to do this, do that, right? Uh, use AWS implement it, right? <laughs> That's authentic, right? Sure, sure. It's more painful. It's not as easy. It's not as convenient. Right. right? The grading is a little bit more subjective, but that's really what you care about in life. And right. we've shut away from that. And and I guess if you take your uh, the the education and the academic world where the educator's role in this transformation is equally or more important than the educated, right? Uh, I would think the same thing is applies on the uh, enterprise and the organization side where the role of the organization in being able to assess the needs of the employee and being able to then provide the right uh, interventions and learning uh, modules, et cetera, to bring that up uh, is equally or more important, right? Yeah. So how do you see or, or would advise or look at organizations and, and people like us who are trying to uh, develop uh, uh, technologies and systems to help organizations, but also organizations who are our customers uh, look at how they should be looking at using uh, the new science of learning in, in bringing up their workforce. Well, look, I mean, first of all, um, the objective of that book, uh, uh, Workforce Education, is to say that the workforce needs to continuously upskill, rescale all the time, right? And a good organization is one that in my view, nurtures the learning of the workforce. Mm. You know, my colleague said that uh, culture, for example, culture is the silent supervisor. Beautiful um, saying, right? Right. So you have to learn the culture of your company. Right? Um, right. You have to learn the the way your company operates, the credo of your company. You have to and learn the latest technology, the products, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, one company that does a good job of that is Apple. I'll give you an example. If you go to an Apple store, the um, the folks who work in the retail store, you can tell they know a lot about the product. They're passionate about it. They love the product. And they are not trying to sell you. They're trying to educate you. Right. Maybe they were educated somehow to be like that. They were picked to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so my view is that really focusing on worker uh, development, uh, employee um growth in this way is sort of fundamentally the part of the future. In fact, I think that education, just like healthcare, mm -hmm. is going to be a benefit going forward. You know, uh, Starbucks um, uh, is offering to its baristas um, education, right? Right, right. So um, so anyway, so I, I really feel that the focus on employees is going to change in the 21st century. Of course, in the gig economy, what does that mean? But that's a whole other question. <laughs> right, right. Um, in uh, one of your interviews I read about, uh, you you questioned some of the structures and, and dogmas in education, right? Uh, which are not necessarily based on science. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that and, and talk about uh, what you might have seen about those kind of dogmas and structures in, in enterprises as well? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, a lot of um, fads that this works, that works. I'll give you one, there's a classic one. There was a fad for many years about something called um, learning styles. Mm -hmm. That there are some people who are visual learners, then some people are auditory learners and all that. It was actually a misunderstanding of some work. It wasn't questioned. 
it's spread far and wide. To this day, people say to me, how do I figure out if my child is a visual learner? Right. It has never been replicated. We have never been able to prove that there is such a thing as a visual learner. And you jump into this and you're putting people in buckets which are potentially false and may not help, may actually hurt. So the problem with education is everyone thinks that they know. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, if I told you without the science that forgetting is a key step in learning, it would seem so counterintuitive. Of course not. You would reject it. Not you, but, you know, people reject it. Right. That's right. Right. So uh, when you understand the science of learning, you come, you recognize that some of the things we assume are dogmatic, they're dogmas, they're fads, and some of the things that we learn are counterintuitive, but at some deep instinctive level, we sort of get it if you go back to the parenting metaphor. But we sure. leave that aside when we talk about education, right? Right, right. And that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's true. Um, on, your, on the workforce uh, education, the book that just launched and the new roadmap, right? I think based on what I've uh, what I've read about about what's in that book uh, it's a lot about the shifting uh, working class uh, over the last few decades in the US and and what's impacted their learning in a way right uh, now what's happened to the blue collar uh, working environment in the US uh, because of automation and uh, offshoring and all of that over the last few years, last couple of decades, maybe has has permeated into the white collar uh, workforce as well, right? Through same automation, offshoring, but also now with the advent of AI and um, other evolving technologies, which we all know uh, are affecting how uh, white collar uh, folks uh, view their jobs and all of that. The implication of that for employees is obviously that. Uh, many of the jobs that they are used to today will possibly not exist in the same form a few years from now. Many of those jobs will not exist at all, right? And therefore, they are in a concern of what to do with uh, with with their skill and, and upgrade themselves and all of that. Kind of similar to what um, the, the blue-collar workforce has been facing over the years, right? Yep. So give us a sense of uh, how uh, companies who look at their white collar uh, workforce and are trying to address these challenges. What what your learnings from workforce education, the the new book? How would you relate that to the white collar side? See, there's a lot of research. Um, when um, my colleague at MIT, David uh, Otter, talks about how when ATMs, right, automatic teller machines appeared, and people thought, oh, bank clerks mm-hmm. right right well what he argues is what really happened was that clerks started doing higher value added things like bear loans right selling you know cds getting you to invest in a cd things like that right you know now mit just put out a report um, work of the future i was a part of that uh, study and some of the thoughts are also in this book um, although that's a much broader study and, and what we find is that um, technology it hasn't really started replacing jobs. Mm-hmm. Technology has started requiring uh, new skills, a different bundle of skills, right? 
So an AI system doesn't actually offer you a loan. An AI system informs an actuary person, someone in the insurance company, right. information that they can use to make a better decision uh, on the loan, if done right. Sure. The classical story is that somehow AI is, for example, x-rays or you know radiography, right? reading the reports, so you could use AI. Mm -hmm. You just do a good job, but in the end, for a variety of reasons, you still need the human being. So the human being is more effective with these systems, but they also have to exercise judgment. So net-net, it's an upskilling thing, right? I mean, what we're finding at a high level is that more jobs are being created, right? Um, but there are not people taking the jobs because the gap is not so much one of numbers. The gap is one of a match, and that right. comes to learning. Right. Yeah, and that's I guess the the challenge for for enterprises, right? Because they are uh, moving on, and they know that there are new jobs that will be required, and but they have a workforce which is out predated, outdated, whatever you call it, right? In terms of their skill, and therefore they that that workforce is scared, and there's a mismatch, and that's where I think uh, from Edge's perspective, Edge Networks's perspective, we help in trying to figure out. The employee's current skill set and and match it to what is the future skill set requirement and help organizations uh, match that out. So I think that's uh, that's that's interesting in sense that um, the employee of today is uh, largely bound by what my skill set is right today and afraid of all these uh, reports and things like that that are coming out and uh, AI is going to take my job, robot is going to take my job. I guess from an organization's perspective, it is the organization's responsibility to to show them the path. Is that what you what, what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, I mean, basically um, it's the, I mean, let's say that you're a car company, GM, right? Yesterday I saw an ad for GM on electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. right? Now, um, is GM going to, first of all, it's not going to get out of internal combustion vehicles tomorrow. Right. But at the same time, it has time, it has to build expertise in electric vehicles. The people who build internal combustion vehicles have a lot of expertise in manufacturing and things that are equally applicable. In fact, Tesla struggled with manufacturing. Right. So if I am GM right now, I'm trying to figure out how I can reskill, upskill the workforce, right? Understand that ba batteries have different safety considerations, different assembly considerations, right? Batteries have, they carry a lot of energy. So there's an arcing, there's some other things, but some of the manufacturing things are the same. The painting is the same, right? And quality control is the same. How do you put it all together? So I think it is a good organization has no choice because of the numbers required, but to build that expertise. And I think learning and teaching is going to be one of the secret sources, sure. you know? In a lot of times, I, I find that people hire people from another company because that other company does better training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's true. Yeah. And I guess as, as the future unravels, uh, the uh, training and educating uh, workforce is going to be a differentiator for most for companies, right? Yeah, that's, I think I think it's going obvious. to yeah, it's a new benefit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. And I know you mentioned forgetting. How do you relate that to in, in organizations, we always keep talking about that we have to unlearn things, right? Mm. Uh, so unlearning is a, is a big uh, big expertise, so to speak, that we've, we've grown up with that to some extent might relate to forgetting, though it's actually not the same thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about God's perspective on that. 
Yeah, so that's not, I wouldn't, I mean, that is forgetting, but it's a different type. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, you can take advantage of forgetting, I guess, but um, we are creatures of habit, and mm-hmm. sometimes we have habits that are outdated or wrong, bad habits, and it's very yeah. hard to get out of them, right? So, um, so I was talking to a coach, and what he said is, when I get a young player, if they play tennis and they have the wrong um, stroke, right? Mm-hmm. The first thing I've got to do is get them to forget that, right? And relearn a new stroke. Right. And um, in fact, one of our classmates, uh, Gaurav, Gaurav, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. He used to, he was a very good badminton player and he would play without a racket for some time. They'd yeah. coach play without a racket just to get his motions right. Right. So um, I think this business of unlearning is very fundamental now. Um, one example of that is how to be agile in a in a software development environment where everything was waterfall. Yeah, right? that's yeah. a big shift. Yeah, that's a big shift. The big shift. So uh, that is um, that. So that takes sort of corporate uh, discipline. It takes reinforcement. It takes practice. It takes leadership, uh, and takes reminders. It takes uh, incentives, etc. And it's a very difficult thing, but. Companies that uh, are able to pivot and stay relevant today absolutely do that. Not yeah. easy, but it has to be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. So I, I know we are uh, we are we are caught up on time. So let me try and get to the close. With that, uh, if you were to summarize some of your uh, findings and research and and learning with talking to organizations, and were to synthesize that into five things that you might say that an organization needs to do to further their workforce's needs, what would they be? Well, I mean, I would start at the top. I would say the most important thing is figure out um, sort of an arc, a learning arc, you know, for each um, class of employee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an existential question. I think that belongs less in the chief learning officers uh, court and more in the C- chief t- technology officers. So the officers, sure. I think CTOs need start need to playing offense here. No, the the CLO uh, cannot should not set the technological arc, but CTO can say this is what the skills are. You know, the GMs right. has got to figure out electric vehicles. We're going to work with lithium ion batteries. We need to understand. People need to understand the chemistry, all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then the next step I would say is uh, find and curate content at one level lower, right? There's actually a tremendous amount of content there already. You know, MIT actually, we put out a lot of content. You know, all the other schools put out content. If you go to YouTube, if you want to learn about lithium-ion philosophy, uh, chemistries, there's a lot of content out there. And then there'll be gaps. So you need to figure out which content you want to curate, which you want to fix. Then the third thing I would do is is, uh, come up with um, sort of a cognitive scaffold to enable all this, you know? So they take this video, uh, then how do you see if they learned it? All those things are, you have to sort of scaffold it and you have to figure out sure. the system, right? Including um, practical tests, you know. And I wouldn't make it testing so much, but letting people sort of show what they can do, right? Sure. Right, so for example, if there's a course on cloud, you know, uh, give them an incentive and give them some credits so that they can go set it up on Amazon or your favorite cloud provider and right. show that you've done it, right? So that's the third level, right? And then the fourth level, I would say, is that um, come up with incentives mm-hmm. you know, to enable all this, right? 
um, uh, incentives that look, you've done it, you've done a good job, you know, here's how it will show up on your records or something. And then the final thing uh, I would say is, uh, it really comes from the top, but it's sort of a circle, is leadership, leadership, leadership. I think the leaders have to show they're doing it themselves. Sure. But, I mean, I lead open learning at MIT and I wrote two books because I had the books came out of my study of the material. Right, right, right. Right. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm a mechanical engineer. Right. Right. And I had to study all this in order to to write this book. So um, the leadership has to do it, in my view. And, uh, you know, Satya Nadella wrote this uh, very nice book on on his leadership style and on uh, you know, uh, uh, on how he himself has learned, and then he used it to describe how he's transformed Microsoft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That gets right from the top, you know. Yeah. So, so leading by example is 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 one of the big things that uh, that you Absolutely. think organizations should be looking at doing. Great. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Sanjay. Let me just stop the recording, um, and then we'll chat for a little bit more. Okay. Sorry for.